0: Have been talking about expressive individualism recently. A couple of weeks ago Rob Spinney shared with us that he believes expressive individualism is the greatest threat to the gospel in America today, the greatest threat to our church, and the greatest threat to you and your family. Expressive individualism is that prevailing mindset in our culture that each person is defined by what they believe about themselves. Their feelings, their desires, their intuitions are the ultimate authority for their life, and nothing can challenge that. We see this being expressed in our overly sexually uh, saturated culture in the various alternative lifestyles, the debate over gender, the rapid departure from the church. And I think many might begin to wonder if the enemies of God are taking over. Many are beginning to wonder if the foundations of our society are crumbling right before our eyes. The truth is that can cause us to feel afraid. Psalm 11 is the antidote to that fear. Psalm 11 is a psalm of confidence in the Lord when we feel fearful, and concerned. Now, as we study Psalm 11 this morning, it can be applied to every area of your life over which you feel fear and concern. So this morning, you might consider an area of your life that you're struggling with fear today. But the specific context of Psalm 11 deals with the fear that God's people felt as the enemy seemed to be overwhelming and the foundations of the kingdom seemed to be crumbling. But we'll see this morning that King David was not afraid because he had a higher perspective. And that's the big takeaway from this psalm and this sermon today. The big takeaway is this. When King David felt fear, how he felt and how he responded was not controlled by what was happening around him. Rather, by the Lord that was above him. Let me say that again. What King David felt and how he responded was not controlled by what was happening around him. Rather, by the Lord who was above him. And that is the antidote to fear. And my prayer this morning is that Psalm 11 will raise our perspective today. Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word, Psalm 11. Let's read this out loud and then explore its truths for us today. Psalm 11 to the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. That's God's word. Psalm 11 is a psalm of confidence in the Lord when we feel fear and concern. I want you to notice the attack of the enemy that's going on here in the situation. The attack of the enemy is threatening the very foundations of the kingdom. Notice in verse 2 and 3 that the enemy's attack is portrayed as relentless and inescapable. See there in verse two, behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. The attack is relentless. Van Gimeran says, the wicked are lurking in the dark. The battle's not in the open where it can easily be seen. And the greatest concern is not simply the arrows of the wicked flying in the dark at the upright. But the greatest concern is in verse 3, that the enemy will be able to destroy the very foundation of the kingdom. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here, the foundations, William Plummer says, uh, David's speaking of the foundations of justice and social order for the covenant people of God. The foundations are being destroyed and God's laws are being trodden underfoot. Things are in a state of moral erosion, which deprives the righteous of any footing and subverts the basis of their society. And and in this case, what can the righteous do? The psalmist is in distress and looks around for an answer. There's fear and concern among this the people in that society. We can identify, can't we? Even here in our country. What's right and what's wrong? What seems to be so black and white in Scripture? is rapidly being redefined to suit sinful feelings and desires and intuitions. And along with the attack of the enemy is the voice of fear. You see that? Look at verse 1. The voice of fear. Flee like a bird to your mountain. Verse 2. For behold, look at the enemy, look at the arrows, look at what's going on around us and flee like a bird to your mountain. Why? Verse 3, the voice of fear says if the foundations are destroyed, what can we do? There's no hope. Friends, when difficult things are happening, the voice of fear is always present, always whispering, run, hide. There's no hope. Sometimes that's our own voice that we hear. Sometimes, probably like here in Psalm 11, it's the voice of our counselors, Who was telling David to run to the hills like a bird, fly to the hills? It was likely his staff. But the Psalms teach us not to listen to the voice of fear, even if it comes from normally good friends and counselors. We don't listen to the voice of fear. The Psalms are full of rich truth that gives us confidence in God instead. Example, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Confidence, not fear. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid... I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Jesus to his disciples in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Anytime we see or feel the attack of the enemy, we're going to hear the voice of fear. But friends, I want you to notice Psalm 11 is all about the confidence of the king. The confidence of the king. That's how it begins. Look at verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. So how can you say this to me? Taking refuge is finding shelter or protection in the Lord. It's putting your trust in the Lord rather than in your own ability to handle this situation. David, in Psalm 61, said, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge. A strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge Under the shelter of your wings, the confidence of the king. Psalm 11 teaches us, don't focus on the problems around you or on the attack of the enemy. That's a limited perspective. Psalm 11 teaches us, don't listen to the voice of fear. That's a hopeless perspective. Psalm 11 teaches us to raise our perspective to higher realities than what's happening around us. Higher realities. Derek Kidner said, David looks up to see the immense realities that overshadow these events. It's what Kidner calls the forgotten dimension. Fear always forgets the greater realities. And so David says, in the Lord I take refuge. Verse 1, because of verse 7 through, pardon me, verse 4 through 7. In the Lord I take refuge Why? Verse four through seven because the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked as they rain fire, uh, arrows of fire on us. Let the Lord rain fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and the upright. shall behold his face, the confidence of the king. Psalm 11 is a psalm of confidence in the Lord when we feel fear, especially when we feel the, the overwhelming attack of the enemy that seems to be causing the foundations to crumble. If we're going to properly situate ourselves in Psalm 11, then the first thing we need to do is see ourselves as the wicked, not the righteous. To to properly situate ourselves here, we need to first remember that we are the wicked who have used every weapon in our arsenal to rebel against God, to shake our fist at God's kingdom, to tear down the the foundations of God's kingdom and God's law in our own hearts. We want to be on the throne. That's first. But if we're going to situate ourselves properly in Psalm 11, then we understand the gospel. The gospel of Romans chapter 5, where God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we can be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. Romans 5 tells us that while we were enemies with the arrow. On the string of our bent bow, while we were enemies, God made us His sons by grace through faith in Christ alone and for His glory and our redemption. Here's the gospel. God makes his enemies, his sons. And we can receive his grace by faith. As we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our only savior. So first, having seen ourselves as the wicked and then understanding the gospel that makes us part of the covenant people of God. Now, as the covenant people of God, as Jesus is our king and we part of his kingdom, we have complete confidence in King Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell, the enemy, will do everything in his power to destroy the foundations of my kingdom, but it ain't happening. And so just like David, we have a higher perspective. And Psalm 11 gives us three higher perspectives that turn our fear into confidence in the Lord. Three higher perspectives. Listen, faith does not focus on the problems. Faith doesn't listen to the voice of fear. Faith raises our perspectives to higher realities than what's going on around us. The reality of who God is, what God is doing, and how this is all going to turn out. Higher perspective number one. Friends, Psalm 11 teaches us to raise our perspective to who the Lord is instead of who our enemies are. Raise our perspective from what's happening to who the Lord is. In verse four, we see that David has confidence in the Lord because of who he is. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The emphasis is on the Lord high and holy. Did you know that the word temple is the same word in Hebrew as palace? The Lord is in his holy palace. He's on his throne where? In heaven, where the arrows of the enemy cannot reach. His temple is not an earthly building that can be reached by the weapons of the enemy. The Lord is in his palace, and it is unaffected, untouched, out of reach. He's high over this situation. And friends, he's high over your problems as well, every one of them. The Lord is in his heavenly throne. Van Gemmeren reminds us that the throne of God is a symbol of his royal rule and his authority to judge. In fact, Habakkuk 2 quotes Psalm 11. And it emphasizes the awesomeness of the Lord's throne. Hear the words of Habakkuk. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is high and holy above all of the enemies, arrows, and the problems we face. William Plummer says, on earth, and maybe in your life, Everything at present is confusion. But our trust is in the one who sits on the throne in heaven, the king of the universe, the righteous judge of the nations. He is in heaven, and it is perfect and unchanged. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord who is high. He's the high king of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, because of his sacrificial death and resurrection, was exalted by God to the name that was above every name. The name of what? King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation for our encouragement shows us a picture of our high King Jesus at the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet. Loud voices in heaven say, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The enemies will not win. King Jesus is high and holy. Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he, what? Judges and makes war. King Jesus is not only the high king, he's the righteous judge. Revelation 19 goes on, his eyes are like flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written, which no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Don't focus on the enemy. Don't listen to the voice of fear. Raise your perspective And see who the Lord is. He is the high king of heaven. And the righteous judge of the whole earth. Friends, how we feel. And how we respond. Should not be based on the circumstances around us. But on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is infinitely and eternally Above us, reigning over everything that happens to us. Higher perspective, number two. Not just who God is, but what God is doing. What is the Lord doing in Psalm 11 that gives David such confidence? The foundations are crumbling. The enemy is Fierce and relentless. Fly like a bird to the mountain, says the voice of fear. But David says, no. I take refuge in the Lord. Why? Because of what he's doing. What is the Lord doing? Verse 4. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous Deeds. What is the Lord doing here in Psalm 11 today as a righteous judge? The Lord Jesus is seeing, testing, hating, and loving. Seeing. Verse 4. His eyes see. Commentator Henry says, God not only sees men, but he sees through them. (laughs) He not only knows what they say and do, but knows what they think, what they design, and how they really stand effective, whatever they pretend. We may know what men seem to be, but the Lord knows what they really are, as the refiner knows what the value of the gold is when he has tried it. He sees, and he sees through every one of our facades. He tests. You see that in verse 4? Again in verse 5? His eyes see. His eyelids test. There's a deeper seeing. He's not just looking at, but he is judging. He's examining. He's weighing every man's works in his scale of justice. We're not the ones who determine whether something's right or wrong, just or unjust. He weighs. He tests. All of the deeds of man. And what happens when he tests? Look at verse 5. The Lord tests both the righteous and the wicked. Be sure of that. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked, and the one who loves violence. He sees, he tests, and he hates. Martin Luther says this clause is spoken emphatically. It's not simply that God hates, but that his soul hates and thereby declares that God hates the wicked in the highest degree with his whole heart. Wow. Have you ever thought about The perfect hatred of God toward wickedness, and here specifically, violence. And he loves just as perfectly as he hates. Look at verse 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. What's the Lord doing right now, 2023? As he is high, he's seeing, he's testing, he's hating, he's loving. He loves righteous deeds because he is righteous himself. And friends, this was spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1 when it talks about the supremacy of Christ above everything else, which is really kind of the essence of the book of Hebrews, he's above the angels, he's above Moses, above every one of the prophets, above the temple, he is the fulfillment of all of them. When it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews 1 verse 8, of the Son, he says, listen to this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Jesus Christ has a perfect love of righteousness and a perfect hatred of wickedness. He sees, he tests, he hates, he loves. That's what he's doing right now. Who is God? What's he doing? Both of those things will give us a tremendous confidence when we feel afraid. God has an opinion about what's going on right now, right here. He doesn't just see. He feels hatred and love about what's happening in your life, in our country, in his world. So how does this all turn out? Confidence comes from three perspectives according to Psalm 11. Who God is, what God is doing, and how this all turns out. How does it all turn out in Psalm 11? One of two places. When the high king of heaven, the righteous judge of all the earth, sees, tests, hates, and loves... The result is one of two things. The wicked experience God's wrath and the righteous experience God's presence. And before we go any farther we should just stop and ask the question. What's your relationship with King Jesus who is every one of our judge? Are we still in our sin or we have we've been made righteous by his grace through faith in Christ? Because there's only one of two destinies for every single person in this room. You will either experience the wrath of God or you will experience the presence of God. Do you see that in Psalm 11? Look at verse 6. He hates the wicked, therefore, verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire, sulfur, scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Their cup will be full of the wrath of God because of their wickedness. Fire and brimstone obviously is an allusion uh, from earlier in the Bible of Sodom and Gomorrah, whose judgment was both sudden and final. God's wrath and judgment against the wicked will be sudden and final. You don't have to be concerned about whether the wicked will take over. Ultimately, their doom is sure. Another image here is the scorching wind. Probably not so familiar to us. In the hot desert of the uh, Middle East, the scorching winds effects are devastating as beautiful vegetation changes overnight into parched and withered plants. Van Gemeren says the wicked will be like flowers of the field, which are here today and gone tomorrow, here today and gone tomorrow, except that we live in time when it doesn't feel like here today and gone tomorrow. When the arrows of the enemy are coming, and it seems like the foundation of everything that we believe is being crumbled around us, it feels like this is going to go on forever. But friends, Psalm 11 exists to tell us that no, it won't. King Jesus, Judge Jesus, will William Plummer, when the wicked experience suffering in this life, it's the beginning of their sorrows. But the righteous experience all of their suffering before they reach eternity. What a contrast, isn't it? That's the contrast that we see here. Because just as the wicked experience The wrath of God, the righteous, verse 7, experience the presence of God. They behold his face. When you behold someone's face, you're in their presence. That is metaphor for being in God's presence, secure forever. Look at verse 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. Because of grace and faith in Christ, King Jesus, this is true for us. Let me close with Revelation chapter 21, because this is the end of all of those who have turned from their sin, And put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying. Behold. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The one who was seated on the throne, verse 5, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Turn the page to Revelation 22, and it says this. In that new kingdom, there will no longer be any accursed thing, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Psalm 11 is real life. Friends, the daily battle in every one of our souls for peace versus anxiety, the daily battle for joy versus discontentment, for hope versus despair is fought And one in this arena. You'll either focus on your problems, you will either focus on the enemy, or you'll focus on the Lord, who is the high King of heaven and the judge of all the earth. We will either listen to the voice of fear or we will listen to the voice of faith. So Psalm 11 raises our perspective to the higher realities than what we see and feel right here in front of us. It raises our perspective to who the Lord Jesus is, to what the Lord Jesus is doing, and to how all of this will turn out. And friends, that's a faithful perspective that I hope for you. Let's pray together. Father, we admit that we need Psalm 11 because it is too easy for us to feel fear and anxiety when we experience difficulty in this life. I pray that we would heed your word this morning and see you high and holy, see you as king and judge, see you as seeing and testing, hating and loving. And I pray, I pray that we would trust you so that we can see your face. Be part of your kingdom forever and ever. In my heart, earnestly pray- praise for anyone in this room, for our children and our grandchildren, for our neighbors and our co workers, that you would cause them to fear you so that they'd never experience your wrath. Help them to see the Lord Jesus Christ who has already suffered your wrath in our place. Please, Father, extend your grace for your glory, for their good, for our joy. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.